at an early age, I always try to convince them that this is my passion and why it is the right thing. But they just couldn't understand. And I know they love me, but they don't understand. And it switched to, okay, they don't have to understand as long as they respect me. And they always did. If you're 100% honest, it's like, what would I do if I would not care? If I just do what I feel? And then you have the answer. And that's your passion. And then you have to be brave enough to do it and not ask other people for permission. It took hours to schlep my two suitcases from the airport by subway all the way uptown in Manhattan. I got out of the subway on Times Square. That moment was so telling because I got out on 42nd Street. I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. And it was a moment full of joy. And a second later, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? I have nothing. I have no phone. I have no one. I have nearly no money. What the hell were I thinking? I was really, really scared. And then it started pouring. So it really looked like in a movie. I'm like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> Is For I am with thee. Being this little girl, I'm like, okay, if I just don't talk about it, it just didn't happen. And for a very short time, I thought about going to the police and all of that. But the first thing that person said, it's like, well, who do you think they would believe more? Person who works illegally and tries to get a green card? or the number one lawyer in New York City. And that was it for me. I'm like, I have no chance. And I'm not going to through years of all of that. And to be honest, I didn't have the trust in the system that it would make any difference. Be not dismayed, for I am That was Victoria, I'm Andrew, and this is the Unpretentious Podcast. At 14, she left home in Austria to start studying dance. By 21, she is in New York still following this passion, and it seems no setback, no challenge, no crushing obstacle or event, absolutely nothing can stop her from becoming someone who on their deathbed regrets the life they could have lived if they didn't let fear control their decisions. I was curious how her being a ballerina model, a term her lawyer helped her create when applying for a visa, had such an overpowering drive in her life. Here is her story. I knew I wanted to dance. And while dancing in Austria is like quite common for children and people going to the opera to see people dance, but 
if you are from Austria and you want to be a dancer, that's very unusual because it's, as they say, not a real job. I had this passion and drive, so I'm like, I have to dance. There was just one, actually two schools in Austria that would offer a formal education and a formal education and ballet education professionally. For the one school I was too short for in Vienna, which would have been close, and the other one was further away. But my dad said, well, if you find a school where you can do school and ballet, then you can go. And so I found one, which I think they were not expecting that I would. <laughs> but I had to go to a boarding school. Mm. And for me, of course, I didn't want to go to a boarding school, but it was just, well, if that's what I have to do, then I'm going to go. By that time, I actually kind of moved out because I was just living in a boarding school for a year and I hated it there. So they actually signed papers. So I was allowed to live by myself at the age of 15. 15. And I think because of that step, I was a little, well, I was for sure more um, independent than probably other people in my age. Mm. And that's why the step to moving to New York may have been a tiny bit easier to decide doesn't mean it was easy to do but (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so I was still visiting family on weekends but then I started being a part of the company and so we performed on weekends so I was not really home anymore personally I would say I really moved out at the age of 15 but then I moved to New York at the age of 10 years ago. So 21. I was just 21. You have several family members. So were you the oldest? Did all the other kids kind of do the same thing where they moved out at an early age? No, I I was always the black sheep, kind of. <laughs> Even though I have five siblings and we are very close, everyone, we were always allowed to do what our passion was. But At the same time, my parents never really liked the idea of me being a dancer because, you know, it's a hard job. Parents want you to be safe and it's not a safe job and it's a lot of competition. So they're not very artistic. They're all very smart. And I was good at school, too. It was just never my path. So I have an older brother and two younger brothers and an older sister and a younger sister. Do you think that's something that people are born with? I don't know how many people at age 15 would have the motivation or the passion to say, this is what I want to do with my life, and I believe in it so strongly, I can convince my parents to to let me go out and do my own thing. Is I mean, when you look at like your siblings or other friends, do you just think there's some people who kind of know from a very early age what they want to do, and other people take longer to discover it? Or how how did you have such certainty that this is what you wanted to do? Yes, absolutely, because, I mean, I think I was always, you could call it stubborn, because if I knew I wanted to do it, nobody could stop me. But with dance, it was not really like something I knew in my mind. It was just something I had to do in my heart. 
because if I thought about it, of course, I knew everything was speaking against it. You're injured, you work nonstop, it's not a long-term career. So whenever people came with all these arguments, I had nothing to to really argue against. I'm like, I know, but I have to. And it was not my parents at all. You know, you have these dance moms. I had the opposite. <laughs> so <laughs> it was just something I'm like, I have to. It's it I it's not I can't explain that. I just had this passion and I'm like, yeah, so what? But I have to. <laughs> and so all these arguments they seemed like they didn't wait on it because there was nothing you could argue against on this mm -hmm. level. So yes, I definitely agree that I was born with that. Yes. These people that are arguing or trying to talk you out of it or convince you of something different, do you think that's based out of fear? Absolutely. Especially from my family and parents because at one side, I saw how much they tried to be accepting and letting me do my own thing. But it's just scary, you know, if you have a girl with 15 moving out, living by themselves. It's like, and on top of that, my health was not the best. So it was not like, you know, go and flourish. It was, but I think they, the more they tried to, to stop me the more that I wanted to go. Mm. But I, yes, they were scared and worried. And they always said, like, you don't have to do that. We love you if you just have a very standard job. So they always tried me to convince me of the opposite. Do you regret not living the, the safe, stereotypical life? I get this question a lot. And the thing is, it's like, it's my typical life, you know? I, I just know that life. Mm. When people say, oh, yeah, it's such a different life, I'm like, well, for me, it's normal. I don't think it's so different because that's my normal. But I, of course, I understand what you're saying, but no. I mean, if I look at the mainstream teenager, it was always very frustrating, depressing, and partying. I, I knew very early on that it made no sense to me. I'm like, why would I do that? No, no, I don't. Um, no, I don't miss out of my teenage year, and I don't regret that I went that way at all because it was my choice. Nobody said you have to do it and live this extraordinary life. It was always my choice, and I think that's a big difference. For you, it's what, it's what is normal. It's what you knew you had to do. But for other people who don't have, I guess they just can't wrap their minds around it. And all they can see is the scary parts or the downsides or the pain. And it's like, well, that may be part of the experience. But there's also all these other things that you get experience and the, the fulfillment of following your dream. That is true. But I don't know exactly how old I was, but my dad randomly told me a story about people who on their deathbed mm. and they asked them what they regret the most and they always say the things they didn't try mm. and it was so moving for me that I that was always my motivation when I was scared or like 
oh my god I can't do that I'm like I can't look back on my life and always wonder what if what if I did it what if I tried it because to be honest when I went to New York I was not naive in that way I knew everything was speaking against it and the chance that I would actually be able to make it not big but just somehow was very slim but that was the motivation I'm like okay then I go back after six months and at least I tried it and I can move on and I'm not lying on my death but I wonder what if then I know okay it didn't work out but I tried it that was often my motivation actually and that was age 21 where you decided I need, I need to go to New York now or what, what led to that decision? I had that vision very early on, actually. I think I was 14, but it was a dream. You know, it's like, how realistic is it? It's not possible. And then whenever you just mention it, you always get the same feedback. It's not doable. You don't know anyone. You don't have money. And I'm like, yeah, no, but I still want to go. And it was not until I was at my final school year that teachers ask you, what do you want to study now? What do you want to do now? And I'm like, I'm interested in many things, but I just want to go to New York and dance. And I never said it because I knew people would just, look at me and think I'm stupid but so I didn't really say it out loud mm -hmm. I thought Europe would be more into like the fine arts and kind of having the history of opera and all this the ballet why was New York the place that you knew you wanted to go to I think two reasons the the real reason and it's not very <laughs> <laughs> well but the real reason is I saw a movie um, which is called um, with Julia Stiles. Oh my, I forgot the name. Where she goes to Juilliard and she's becoming a dancer in New York. She's a ballet dancer and then she has to prepare the modern part of it and a guy from more of the hip-hop and street scene helps her. It's actually a very mainstream movie. I don't know why I can't think of the name now. Save the last dance. Save the last dance, it's called. And I saw that movie, I'm like, yeah, that's where I have to go. But I was too old for Juilliard. But it didn't matter. I'm like, yeah, I that's what I want to do because my passion was always dance. I loved ballet because it has very strict rules and exact things to follow. But once I realized I want to be a dancer, I knew that the ballet world is not what I wanted because most and foremost i'm an artist and for me i couldn't find the way to express my art fully in ballet because it was too limited on traditions and you know people dance the same choreography they danced in the 1900 so it was a way to get where i wanted but i knew that i wanted to include more emotions and stretching and all of that. My dream was to dance in New York and not be a classical dancer, to be honest. And, but because of that movie, it was New York. Because you're right, 
if you are wanting to be a classical dancer, Paris, London, and Europe is much more where you should go. But I was a dancer in Austria and I was actually in a good company. It's just, it was just not my dream. When I think of the word artist, it's usually someone who's very carefree, like the opposite of rules and it's what they're feeling. It's it's like this intersection of very rigid discipline and yet creativity. You're saying that structure was too much for you, but what was it about ballet that really, can you say like what speaks to you so much about it as compared to like painting or poetry or some other art form? I think that art form just found me because mm-hmm. I don't know. I can't explain why. I, I, I didn't mean that the the structure in terms of hard training and physical work was too much. I loved that. Mm. I loved the hard training and I was, I always went there before class started every morning. We started at 7.40 and I was there at six o'clock to do my extra stretching and extra training. And then we had three hours class and then I went to regular school and then I went back to rehearse and then we had ballet class again and rehearsal until nine o'clock in the evening. And then I did my homework and study in the evening. I liked that. The things I didn't like is like, okay, now I'm, I train and can do all these things, but then you dance other people's choreography and they tell you how to move your arm. The artistic restriction I didn't Mm -hmm. like, not Mm -hmm. the hard training and physical pain. I didn't mind that at all. It was just, I'm like, I want to be a dancer to not have a nine to to five job. And it felt like a nine to five job for me. And I'm like, that's not why I became a dancer. And so I had to find my own to be a dancer the way I wanted to be a dancer. And that schedule you're talking about, this is what you were doing at age 15 on your 14. own 14 yeah on your, wow. 14 onwards me and another girl we were the only one who finished that year well that four year actually because i was in a school for competitive sports but everyone chose their own sports so i chose ballet so i went to a professional ballet school other people choose soccer or basketball and they did their stuff but in terms of ballet, I was the only one in that year with one other person who finished the ballet. Everyone else dropped out because it was hardcore, but I didn't question that because I loved it. If you love something, it doesn't feel like that hard. Yeah. When I talk about it now and looking back, I often think like, how the hell did I do it? But when you're in that moment, I guess you just think of how can I make it happen and not about all the hard times. And for me, I found a lot of joy in pushing my boundaries, learning new things, convincing other people you can do stretching. People thought they're not possible. There was so much joy. Then when you talk about it, people see the hard work, but when you live it, because it's your passion, then the hard work and the pain is just a side effect, but not what you put your focus on. 
I think the art form, I would think that's known as like the most graceful of people. Like a ballerina, you think very graceful. You, you don't think all the discipline that goes into becoming that, but it's, it's funny how graceful and art, like it requires huge amounts of discipline and work. But I think that's the ultimate achievement because in sports, people scream and shout. And, you know, I always think about tennis when you see these people like, oh, and making these faces. So, you know, it's hard. And then you have the artist, as you explained it, like completely chaotic and mind, all of that. And ballet, you have to combine both because if you're just good in, in the sports, aspect people don't want to watch you because most of them don't know if you jump five centimeters or inches taller than the other person so i think that's what makes it so hard it's extremely hard physical work and then you have to make it look like it's so simple so you sell that story and the combination is just the hardest i think on top of all this, like that, I mean, that's challenging enough. Uh, was English, what's the natural language you grew up speaking in Austria? German. So when did you start learning English? I always loved languages. So I was really drawn to it at school. And I had a very, very strict English teacher. <laughs> but of course, the English you learn at school is very different from the English you hear in New York. <laughs> <laughs> It was challenging and especially I had a lot of headache because you don't know what's important. So you absorb everything and it's just too much for the brain. On top of that, I was being self-employed in a completely different continent where even though it's the Western world, they have very, very different culture and rules and laws. So. The combination of all, I didn't realize until late. I'm like, I had constant headache in my first year because I was so focused on understanding things. Mm. But I did speak some English, so it definitely helped. And I didn't have to start from scratch. How in the world did you make that work? Because coming to America is hard enough, let alone doing it by yourself, let alone doing it when you don't have much money. You didn't really have a for sure, like, like you said, six months, and then we'll see what happens after that. So, I mean, what, what was that story like? Well, I actually, I myself put myself in such a surviving mood, position. Mm -hmm. You just focus on, okay, I have to survive. Because I had nothing. <laughs> like, I remember that moment so clearly. I was, it took hours to schlep my two suitcases from the airport by subway to all the way uptown in Manhattan. I got out of the subway on Times Square and I'm like, that moment was so telling because I went out there, I'm like, okay, let's look where Times Square is. And I got out on 42nd Street, I'm like, oh my God, I'm here. And it was a moment <laughs> full of joy. Mm. And a second later, I'm like, what the hell? am I doing? I have nothing. I have no phone. I have no one. I have nearly no money. What the hell were I thinking? 
I was really, really scared. And then it started pouring, so it really looked like in a movie. I'm like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> and from that moment, I'm like, okay, what's the first thing you need? And I took it always that way. I'm like, okay, I need a place to stay. And so I lived in a hostel for two weeks with 10 people in one room before I found a room on 174th Street, which was a terrible area, but of course I didn't know back then. Mm. And so I took it step by step and then I'm like, okay, in order to be here, I have to find some work because my parents have six kids. So they told me that they couldn't help me in any way. So yes, I was not allowed to work. So I did babysitting and working in fast food chains, but when I did the calculation, I'm like, I could work here nonstop and still not make enough money to pay for school and living in New York. So I went back to babysitting and the first year was a nightmare in terms of trying to make it happen just to survive. But Eventually, I got my laptop, and with the laptop, I could find other work, and I could find audition, and the only thing I had was the ballet school, because I I had that dream of living in New York, but I knew I needed a visa, at least a, a scholarship, and so I applied for schools online, but they either were too expensive or they didn't reply, and so my dad actually said, fly there in summer, and say goodbye to your dream, and then you come back and you do something else. Mm. And I did that. I flew there in in July or August, I think. I took some classes at the school that I really wanted to go, which was Steps on Broadway. It was a few days before my vacation was over, and I'm like, I asked that person, like, I sent you a letter a while ago, but... I never heard anything back. And she's like, you didn't hear back from us? We actually sent you a reply. I'm like, no, I never got anything. And she's like, wait, hold on. I still have a copy of that. And she came back and gave me that letter. And it actually said that I was accepted and I was able to pay month by month, which it's very different than paying a scholarship. It completely changed what I actually thought I was doing in New York. I thought I'm going to say goodbye to my dreams. And here she says I could actually start in two weeks if I am able to get my, my stuff and things ready until then. And that's actually how it all started because I flew back to New York and my parents happy. Okay, she finally stops being the black sheep when she comes back and doing her normal stuff. And I flew back. I'm like, okay, I'm moving to New York. I have two weeks. <laughs> they were like, what? Because of that, you don't have time in two weeks about should I really do it? Should I not do it? It's like, okay, I have to get a visa. I have to apply and put all my paperwork in to make it happen so I can start there in two weeks. And that's when I was there. I had my scholarship and that was probably pretty much it. I had no place to live, no phone, no nothing. But I had my ballet and that's actually all I needed. <laughs> I took it step by step and then I asked people and I so many times asked my parents like how can I apply for that and they often say 
I don't know. I don't know. We don't know how things work in New York. It was that time when I really grew up. I'm like, okay. As a kid, you always ask your parents what you do, but they just had no answers because how should they? That's all the nice stuff about it. There were a lot of things that I made wrong decisions because I didn't know better or my my wallet got stolen in the subway and everything was in it. So I lived about $20 for a week and I walked to the ballet school from 147th Street to 72nd Street because I couldn't afford to pay for the subway because they stole my money. And yes, of course, it was scary. And the area I was living in, every time I walked by, people were... That's a very vulnerable position to be in, to be in another country where you don't know anyone, you're learning the language. Being 21, being a woman by yourself, it's just not a good combination. But to be honest, back then I probably wouldn't have said that. But now I'm still glad I did it, even though a lot of bad things happened. It's my life, and I'm really happy I lived it that way. You have to take the good with the bad. To be honest, I always remind myself, yes, it really is terrible to happen, but the same thing could have happened in Vienna too. It's just no guarantee that it would have been a safe world here. One of your things you mentioned earlier with your father, that maybe the most terrible thing is not knowing that if I never tried, well, yeah, maybe I'm quotes unquote safe, but I... I'll forever be wondering what if I had gone to New York rather than what if I'd stayed home and that might be worse. Exactly. That's what always scared me. I'm like, I think the regret would be so much worse than anything that could happen. Yeah. For those people who are, they feel similar to you that they have a passion and they know they have to do something, but most of the people in their life don't understand. So they can't even really have a conversation with them because all they do is try to put fear in their head or talk them out of it. What are some of the lessons that you learned where it's like, okay, if you're a young woman in a different country, here's some things like you're saying, you wanted to ask your parents, but your parents didn't know. So how did you learn how to navigate New York and the good and the bad that comes with being a 21-year-old ballerina? I think I always tried that too. You know, you ask people like, how did you do it? How did you get your green card? How did you do that? But at the same time, I soon realized, well, that was their way. I can just get inspiration of it. But by coping them doesn't mean it's successful for myself. Mm. And that actually gave me more confidence in going my own way just learning from other people's mistakes or small things that they did do that helped them and I think maybe it actually was helpful that my parents were and still are so non-artistic or creative because at an early age I always tried to convince them that this is my passion and why it is the right thing but they just couldn't understand. And it really, I'm like, okay, they don't understand. And I know they love me, but they don't understand. Mm. And it switched to, okay, they don't have to understand as long as they respect me. And they always did. 
Mm. And when I changed that mindset, I'm like, I don't have to convince anyone that what I'm doing is the right thing because they don't understand. As long as they respect that and like, okay, do whatever, that's already enough respect, then I'll do it. Because if you have that passion and if you're 100% honest to you, you know that. You try to convince yourself it's not because you're scared. I understand that. I had that moment too, of course. Mm -hmm. But if you're 100% honest, it's like, what would I do if I would not care? If I just do what I feel? And then you have the answer. And that's your passion. And then (laughs) you have to be brave enough to do it and not ask other people for permission just wrapping my head around a 14-year-old girl, 15-year-old girl moving out by herself and then going to New York and having negative experiences in New York and none of that stops you from giving up on your dream. You're respected by your family, but they can't support you the way you want to be because they don't understand like that. That's just a lot to deal with in life early on. But I think it was actually a good thing because my parents always were supportive in a very passive way. If you ask for help, they are here, but they're not like voluntarily, well, if you wanna go to a ballet school, go and find it yourself. We don't stop you, but we don't look for you. And to be honest, as a child, it was so frustrating because I'm like, other parents, you know, they take you then by the hand and put them there. I'm like, why? Why not? But I'm so grateful for it because I was used to, if I want something, I have to get it. Bad experience didn't stop me because I never wanted to be a victim. Never. Mm. And I thought, well, well, if we go, if we go there, I was raped twice in New York. And one very early on. But I'm like, okay, I risked everything and now I'm here. If I go home now because of that, then he really won. And I will always be a victim. Or I'm like, okay, I didn't know whether it happened. It's not my fault. But I'm not a victim. He can't stop me from living my dream. And it worked. And then it happened again. And so it was a lot. And I actually, that was the reason I moved to Las Vegas because I just had to get out of there. I'm like, I, the one person was older and white and the other person was young and black. So whenever I saw a young or an old or a black or a white person, I twitched. That's a lot of people. Yeah. I have to get out of there because even though I'm not talking about it, it still happened. And so Las Vegas was the first I could go. And it was also practical in that moment because it was warm and close to the airport. And it was just right for that time. But it took me some years until I really completely got over it. And I guess you always be impacted somehow Mm -hmm. but I didn't let it stop me because I didn't want to be a victim and by still doing my thing and just seeing it as a 
people say you can't always control what happens to you, but you can always control how you react and handle it. And that's what I did. Well, that's got to be up there in terms of worst fears of what would happen to you if you're out on your own. And that's something that you've gone through and experienced not just once, but twice. Were you able to talk about that, right? Or was that a process where you're able to talk with a friend or a family member about it? And Not for a while, because, you know, being this little girl, I'm like, okay, if I just don't talk about it, it just didn't happen. And for a very short time, I thought about, you know, going to the police and all of that. But the first thing that person said, it's like, well, who do you think they would believe more? Person who works illegally and tries to get a green card or the number one lawyer in New York City? And that was it for me. I'm like, I have no chance. And I'm not going to through years of all of that. And to be honest, I didn't have the trust in the system that it would make any difference. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, okay, there's nothing I can do. So I'm not talking about it. And so that never happened. Of course, it eventually backfired and years later and it all came out. And I actually told my best friend the way she reacted was so differently than I when I talked to myself. I'm like, how could you be so stupid? You know, all these things you know you shouldn't do, but when you get into this position, you just feel guilty because, like, is there something I could have done to avoid it? And did I do something? But no, it's, it's not my fault. I know that. And the reaction of my friend, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry, and you were so strong, can I do something? And she spoke so so lovingly to me, mm-hmm. and it really changed the way I view it because I always felt guilty, and I'm like, I did something wrong for it to be that way. And when I heard her reaction, I'm like, it's not my fault. And the same with my my sister. I then talked, actually emailed her, and I told her, and she reacted the same way. I'm like, okay, people don't think the way I think about myself. They actually are really sorry about it, or you know. And it helped me heal. But yes, the reason I didn't tell my parents because I'm like, okay, I looked at it very. What can they do now? Nothing. It happened. So if I tell them now, they are just hurt and worried. They want me probably to come back. It wouldn't change anything. So let's not hurt them additionally to what I had to go through. Now they know. Now we don't talk about in details, and I don't think it would change anything. But they know. But to be honest, I think most or a lot of girls actually are not as fortunate as I am in terms of when they experience something like that and they go somewhere. And if my friend would not react, have reacted that way or being disbelieved or would say anything different, Hmm. 
to be honest. I'm not sure where I would be now mentally because when I hear stories like that, I'm like, it happened. And then I told my, I don't know, my best friend and she's like, well, I'm sure it was your fault. I think that's that would crushing. Be crushing. Yeah. That would be crushing. I'm glad I had a family and friends who one, once I opened up, they were very loving. Well, that's amazing. I'm glad you had such a, like you're saying, that first person you shared with is such an important conversation in terms of how they respond. So I'm glad they were able to, you know, be there for you and support you in the way you, that was helpful for you. Yeah. Looking back on that, it, I mean, that's, that's every parent's nightmare. I'm sure that was one of your worst fears. How did that kind of shape your perspective on life? Somehow your pat ballerina was your passion that kept that kept you in New York. Like you're saying, you don't want this dream to be ruined. Always when things got hard, I found my escape in dance. And so I'm like, he took that part of me. But if he takes, because I know when I go back to Austria, then I can't be a dancer the way I wanted to be. So he would take away that too. And that was just not an option. That's such a big topic where it's like there's so much to say and I'm glad that that's something that you're confident to talk about and you know, you've gotten the support. I think it's important to talk about it because I always thought, why would people stay with a person like that? Because the second person, the first person, he was a lawyer. And he said he would help me with getting my green card. And I told him I don't have a lot of money, but I was very upfront. I'm like, I'm not doing anything else or offering anything else. I just want to hear options on what I could maybe do to get a green card or a work permit. He's like, yeah, no worries. Come in. And he's helping some artists pro bono because he loves art and so I trusted him and I was up front and he's like, no, he wouldn't do that. And I went there and of course he did other things, but there was no way for me to know that or run away because it's so quick and I just froze. And I never thought that I would freeze. I'm like, well, then you scream, you run away, you ask for help, you, you defend yourself. But at that moment, I realized there's nothing I can do to to get out of that situation. And it really gave me a lot of passion for our other women that, you know, when you hear stories like that, I'm like, well, it's her own fault. Why would she stay with an abusive person? Or why would she not run away? And like, it's always easier said than done if you're not in that situation. And the second person, it was, it started as a boyfriend, but it very quickly turned into an abusive relationship and then controlling things. And now when I hear other girls' stories on Netflix or anything, I'm like, they always have the same pattern. And because it's so slow, you don't realize how much mental control they get. And once they get that, they do all the other things. And it was not until I moved and he found me again and my roommate let them into my room because they didn't know that we were actually not together. It was then that he said, well, 
either I kill you or, or you fuck me. And he was six too. I had back then I actually defended myself, but I realized that there's nothing I could do. And but just saying that it's always easy for people from the outside saying, well, why didn't you leave earlier? Or why didn't you just whatever? It's like. Well, I think that's partly fear because we don't want to believe it could happen to us. So therefore, there yes. must be something different about us that makes me different from the person it happened to. So I'll always be safe. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, you're completely right. Because if I blame the victim, then it can't can't happen to me because I would act differently, but it's not. I have control. Yeah, it's true. And it was actually one of the a really bad moment in my life when the second time I'm like, okay, I'm not gonna let that just happen again. I'm gonna do whatever I can. And to then realize, well, nothing I'm doing is making a difference because he is twice as big as I and twice as tall and nothing I can do would change anything. That was why it was even harder, to be honest, the second time and because it was someone I trusted. That seems like such a fundamental attack on your identity. What did, what did that make you discover about yourself that, you know, someone had hurt you so deeply in this way? And it's like all the, a lot of the assumptions in terms of the control I have or who I am, a lot of that taken away. So what did you learn about yourself and like who you were from that? I just shattered my whole belief in man. Because even the, the men that did that, they were so differently in not just the way they look, but the way they lived life. So it's like, for me, it's like, okay, that's all men. Mm-hmm. One thing that really helped me to regain that control is when I started nude modeling, because before all that happened, I liked it because it was art for me and expression, but, and I continued it, but it actually gave me back that control about my nude body because it's like you set the terms of shooting and the photo shoot and people respect that. Luckily, I never had a photographer doing anything like that. So it felt so reassuring that if I say we can do this and that, but that's it. And then, you know, photographer stick to that agreement. I'm like, okay. Not everyone is breaking boundaries. Mm. You say no, and people accept that. And again, and they're like, do you do this? And I said, no. And they're like, okay. I'm like, wow, people actually do take no as an answer. That helped a lot. And the next thing that regained my trust in man was when I saw my sister getting married to a really nice guy and my other sister getting a boyfriend who was and still is really nice. I'm like, okay, I'm not a person to judge people. So don't judge the whole manhood because two people did something wrong to you. I didn't want to give up on a relationship and love at the age of 22. (laughs) 
So, to be honest, it's easier said than done because since then I have not had a relationship. But I don't know if it's all because of that because I'm just very independent and living a very different lifestyle. Well, that's the nice thing about the community of like the dance, right? Is like you have people who understand you, like you're saying your parents want to understand you. Did you find a lot of community and like support in the dance community where it's like these are people who understand me and they get me and I feel connected with them? Or did you not really feel they understood you either? No, to be honest. Really? Um, I know people think about it that way, especially in the dance community. To be honest, it's a bit better in the US, but in Europe, it's people put glass in your shoes so you don't dance and they get your part. People talk bad mm -hmm. about your back because even though you maybe think you're friends, you're always their biggest rival. So that was another very painful thing I had to learn very early on. I had very few friends, pretty much one friend I would, and she still is my friend from Austria, but everyone else, it's like, they're not your real friends because they want your part if they can get it. It's so competitive that it sadly is that way. I can only speak about for myself, but for me, it was always a very, not lonely, but at the end, you're alone if you want to achieve something. To be the best at something or to succeed or to keep pushing yourself into a higher and higher rung of success just because you love it so much, that, that is a very different mindset. But not just that, but also in the ballet world, it's just... They always say, they laugh in your face and stab you in the back. And I had many big or small experiences like that. Yes, in New York too, I worked with a very well-known ballet photographer in New York and he approached me and asked me when those pictures came out. And the next day there was a rumor that I must have slept with him because why would he, he work with me? But he actually approached me, and of course, I did not. I think people are jealous. Having gone through the backstabbing of friends, the betrayal of people saying they want to help artists or, you know, relationships, what are some of the things that you've taken away? Like, this is what makes a true friend. This is what makes a safe person. What have you kind of gathered from your experiences? For a, a few years, very bitter. I didn't trust anyone. I was very isolated. And I'm I'm still a, more of an introvert person, but being isolated is something else. Because I just didn't trust anyone. But again, I'm like, okay, you can live that way for the rest of your life, but you're taking risk in achieving big things in life. So you also have to take risk in terms of trusting people. And by realizing that I'm not the same person that I was before, I learned from that experience. I'm maybe smarter or not as naive. Mm. I think by not taking it so personally, I'm like, I don't know their story. Maybe they are jealous because they experienced something. It's not that I did something wrong. And when I made that 
cut, it's like, don't take everything personally. They don't say that you slept with that person because they hate you or you are a wrong person or whatever. It's like, okay, they think that, so it's their problem. I can't change their opinion. I know what I did and what I didn't do. I'm not trying to to prove anything to them. If they want to believe it, let them believe it. From my experience, whenever I dealt with it that way, it very quickly went off because they're like, yeah, she's not that way. And that's it. But whenever at the beginning I tried to convince people, oh, it's not true, it just made much more drama. So it sounds like you found freedom in not letting others be able to define you or to have, yeah, that power over you that they, their, their innuendos or their suggestions are something you have to respond to, that you, you know who you are and you're free from the need to respond. When they make assumptions about me, yes. But I think as an artist, you always look for other people's opinion about your art you know mm, it's like you're, you're, do they like what i do do they they like the picture do they like how i perform because you try to give your best and then yes i'm still sadly but i'm still that way that i'm like do you like it but if you do things about how i chose my life and in terms of what they think what how i live life then i don't care no Right. They don't get to define your character. They might have input on your artistic work as it relates to your art, but in terms of your character and who you are, they don't have that. That's not their role. Or their yes, yeah. that's exactly what it is. Yeah. And then it also sounds like in terms of trusting others, it's like it, it, it was like there's one like there's the naive, like no one could possibly be this mean or this hurtful. And then there's a the cynical, which is everyone is this mean and this hurtful. And it sounds like for you, it's a conscious choice to be brave and to trust someone knowing that that could lead to pain and betrayal but it i would rather live my life taking a risk a wise a calculated risk a wise risk with someone than to forever be cynical exactly yeah you put it into very nice words it's exactly what i'm thinking because thinking that okay i will trust again and it will never happen again i think it's still naive because it's life but by making that decision, I'm like, okay, I decide I will still trust people because I don't want to be miserable and bitter for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And knowing that it might happen, but I will be strong enough to go through it and to, to survive it. That's the way I chose to continue life because I really didn't like that bitter, bitter person of myself. Oh, it's it's very understandable and you you could have lived as that person for the rest of your life and that would have been very justifiable it's you just chose even though i have every reason to stay here or to continue having this weight it's just not what you wanted for your life at some point even though you could have justifiably stayed there exactly and you know what it was actually a good negative example when i worked with a lot of people all over the world sadly because some of them are older and we all went through something and by realizing that so many people now live by themselves and they are alone or they 
they married and she cheated on them. So no, I'm not going to date ever again. I'm like, they living this miserable, bitter life now because they are afraid to open up again. And I saw myself in that. I'm like, I can't do that. I'm 22 or whatever, 25 at that time. Like, it's too young to give up on life. Mm. And by seeing that it doesn't make you any better, it just makes you more miserable all the time. So you are more used to that. I'm like, okay, I can't be that forever. And that's when it changed. When I saw what it would do to me if I would choose that life. One way I've heard it talked about is like the, the goal of life isn't a life without pain. It's a life in which your pain was traded for something of worth. Because pain is unavoidable. Or if you lived your whole life avoiding pain, it's like, what kind of life did you really have? So it's, yeah, it's saying. That's also the way I always thought life in Austria. When you look at it in a wave shape, it's safe. There are no ups and no downs. It's safe. But. When you look at the heartbeat and it's flat, you are dead. And that's like, I always saw my life like that. There are so many downs and ups and downs and like, but that's life. That's a beating heart. And so I'm like, I'd much rather have a lot of downs and ups than no ups and downs at all. But that's just my personal choice of life or living life. Yeah, and I really appreciate you sharing the downs because I think it's easier for people to talk about the ups and talk about their successes and their perfect life and how nothing ever happened to them and everything's amazing. And, you know, looking at like the, the picture that some of the pictures you're talking about where those people were saying you must have slept with this guy. It's like, you know, those are such like, wow, such beautiful pictures. And I'm, I guess I'm kind of curious, like what are, what are some of the ups in your life where you're like, I, like you're saying you were in New York and you couldn't believe you were in New York. What are some of the moments of your life where you're like, this is so surreal that I'm on stage doing these things or this picture of me was published? There's so many ups. Honestly, there's so many ups. I mean, it was very telling for me when someone said, well, I want to do a biography about you. I'm like, so how do I want to tell my life and of course the first thing you think about all the bad things I'm like <laughs> but you know what that's just even they were very severe it's still just a very small part of my journey but just telling all the ups would not make the whole picture so I think that it's very important what you say it's like there are a lot of good things that happen otherwise I would have stopped at some point I think <laughs> I mean, after two months, the place that I was living was destroyed because he took drugs. I just rented a room and everything was destroyed. And I was supposed to shoot with a person that day. I never met. We set up a photo shoot. And it was two days before Christmas. And I called him and like, I'm very sorry, but I have to cancel because we have police in front of the house. The whole apartment is trash. I have to find a place where I can live because I can't stay here. And he said, well, just move in. Of course, all the alarm clocks are ringing. I'm like, well, let me be upfront. I guess that's what came from being raped twice. I'm very frank and upfront person. I'm like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to offer anything. I have to find a place. And he's like, no, he knows he's a painter himself. And he knows how hard it can be. 
he's actually going for holiday vacation for three weeks and I can stay in his place. I'm like, why would you do that? You don't know me. We don't, haven't even met him. Like, I want to help someone help me when I was that young. So I want to help. And he holds his word. He never asked for money. He never asked for anything else. My sister actually came to visit because it was scheduled for a while. And he's like, yeah, sure, let them stay here. Until that day, I'm like, why did he do that? And I thank him a few times over the years. And it's like, we all need some help. And that put a lot of trust back into me like there are good people and then other people who were like when I told that person about my green card and it's so expensive and I don't want to do anything I want to get it the right way and achieve it through an artist and all of a sudden he gave me some money through PayPal I'm like why would you do that I didn't give anything back. I'm just like, no, but if I could be one little step in achieving your dream, you still have to do all of that together. And it's still not at all enough money, but it's just a little contribution. Things like that, I'm like, why would he do that? It really puts so much gratitude in me. And achieving those goals that I set for myself, like I arrived, and started ballet school in October. And my first goal was, okay, I have to dance Nutcracker this winter. So I had two months. My not having a work permit, I passed audition, but I was not allowed to dance because they wouldn't do anything after book. So I found one little company and they're like, yes, okay, you can dance for us. I'm like, okay. And they're like, well, but we can't pay you. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I just want to <laughs> dance pay for the hotel, pay for the flight, and I'm going to dance for free. I just got paid. I didn't, but it didn't matter because I achieved my dream of <laughs> dancing that cricket in the first year I was there. Things like that, and then finding modeling and people liking what I do and appreciating all the hard work and the art. I don't know. There were so many things that... Not just the big things, but the small things. And then having the government giving me my artist visa as an artist, you know, as a, a work permit. The government officially thinks that what I'm doing is a job and <laughs> worth for keeping me. And it was something that five lawyers told me that it's not possible to get an artist visa these days because you have to win a Grammy or an Oscar. Otherwise, you don't get that. I'm like, okay, let's try it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Things like that, it's like, wow. I, You know, my green card, I got seven years after I arrived in the States. When I got there, I'm like, I made 200 euros a month. You know how much a green card costs? <laughs> it's a fortune. And having nobody and no, it's like, I don't know how I will get it, but I know I'm going to get it. And then getting that um, notification while it got approved, it was one of the happiest moments in my life because it proved to me you don't have to have a way. As long as you have a clear goal, you will find your way. 
the same happened with the dancing, moving to New York, getting my work permit, getting my green card. Being a ballet model was not an official job title, but they created that because I said, well, I'm a ballet model. And they asked me, so what is that? We don't know what that means. <laughs> and I explained that and they're like, yeah, it's true. You can't just be a model to do these jobs and not every dancer is doing it. Okay, so now it's an official top title in the US. And that made me really proud. Or Disney reaching out to me for someone who worked for Disney. They did a, a drawing and art book. And they flew from Canada to, to Boston because I couldn't work in Canada. So they flew in and because they wanted to work with me. And like, I'm like, why would they want to do that? There are other people they could do that with. Now they wanted to work with me or having this trust from people from 432 Park Avenue. I did that huge, huge campaign a year and a half after I arrived in the US. And I'm like, those people, they won Grammys and whatever else they did win. And I'm like, they asked me to do that for them. Mm -hmm. I realized, okay, I either have to step up my game and share whatever I believe and see and my vision is, or be that little shy girl that people forget about it again. And when I realized they appreciate my artistic view and they changed things because I didn't like the picture they choose. And so they changed it. <laughs> it's like, wow, they wouldn't even need to ask me if I liked the picture. But they asked and they changed it. And it meant so much. I, I think I know the pictures you're talking about, but could you help me understand more? You're saying this campaign, that was a big deal. What, what was that? It was actually really funny because, you know, I was looking on all these platforms to find jobs. And it's just stated they were looking for a statue who starts moving and would be okay with being nude but artistic. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do that. It didn't really seem like much, but I felt like, just go there. And I couldn't find their office because it's all the way downtown, so it's not very easy to find anymore. And I was running late and I was embarrassed, but they're like, it's fine. And it started that way. I was just standing there and started moving. And at that moment, the client who paid for all of that, he saw me and he's like, I want her as a cover model. They already booked the fashion model and everything was paid. So they asked me, they're like, well, we never shot ballet before. Would you help us and do the choreography and all that? I loved it because... They trusted me and I felt like they had so many other knowledge and skills. And here I am and a year and a half after being in New York. I never knew what it actually was for because it was top secret. But it later turned out to be the highest luxury apartment building in the Western Hemisphere. I did the cover model and the 10 spread in the magazine. And it was not on TV, of course, because apartments started at, I think, 10 million and the top apartment went for 100 million. Mm. But the whole experience of, of all of that, once that got published, I think it helped a lot with my ballet modeling because even though people didn't know who I am, 
they often said, oh, I, I have seen that picture. I just didn't know it was you. So when you say ballet modeling, like the reason that that has to be a distinct term is because a model is doing modeling, but a ballet model is, is striking certain poses that you physically wouldn't be able to do if you didn't have the ballerina training? Well, at, before I got a green card, I applied for a work permit. In order to get that, you have to do work that they say nobody else in, in the U.S. could do, or at least not as easily. And because I had all my achievements as a dancer, I won competitions and all that, my lawyer said, well, we could try to get you a visa as a dancer, but I knew I didn't want to just dance. But if you have a work permit as a dancer, you're just allowed to be a dancer. And so I'm like, I actually want a model. And she's like, well, but you have no achievements back in Austria as a model. So maybe we can say you're a dance model. Then you can do all jobs related to dance and all jobs related to modeling. That's how we kind of created that job title, to be honest. She came up with that idea. I'm like, yeah, fine. And it's true because if you have TV shows where you have dancers, they have, it's an actress job, but they use professional dancers because it's too hard to train an actress to do that. And the same with, I don't know, in the US who did big campaigns that some would know, but Nike sometimes does them and you need professional dancers to do the model job because exactly like you say it's not everyone can do them that's fascinating that's cool that you're so unique that you're creating your own titles on a visa form in order to accurately describe what you're wanting to do <laughs> it's actually interesting because now it's very common with instagram especially you see a lot of dance pictures but back then like nine years ago it was not yeah, like there's accounts now that's like, like you're saying ballet, and it's like the ballet people are out on the streets in New York or other places. It's a, it's a thing now, but when you were doing exactly. it. Exactly. Mm. It was not. And that's why I thought, okay, when I first came to the US, I'm like, okay, nobody's looking for a model here. I'm short. I'm ugly. There are millions of models here. <laughs> Nobody is waiting for me. But because I didn't fit any of the the known forms mm -hmm. i had a niche and it helped that's very cool and so often people are trying so hard to fit into someone else's mold than to create their own which is yes hmm. yeah but i was the same way i always thought i'm too short for a lot of things and i'm that and i'm that until i really realized okay if you don't fit in anything but you don't want to change the way you are or you can't well then just create your own <laughs> it really works much better well it's kind of like the limits of uh dance and ballet you have those things about me i can't change my height so that's limit that's where creativity flows from is when you recognize these are the boundaries or the borders or the limits and then make them do new things in surprising ways that no one's ever seen before i see it more often now in the ballet and modeling world back in the days being a self-employed model was not a thing. Now, I guess the majority of the models have no agency or mm -hmm. don't just reply, 
lay on that. And the same with dancers. There are a lot of really, really good dancers that are freelance now or working more independent and choose not to be in a company. But back in the days, if you don't dance with the company, well, then you're not good. And so it was hard because people are like, so who are you dancing with? And I'm like, I don't dance with anyone anymore because I chose that. And they're like, well, why? It's like, okay, she must not be good enough. But I actually still got offers as a job, but I went back very shortly because I missed stage life and I did that again. I'm like, okay, I know why I left. <laughs> it was good that I went back because I had my conclusion. Mm. And for me, I'm happier that way. What was it like trailblazing a new path? How did that work? I mean, where did you find jobs? Like, because there's, you can work with the company, but when you're not working with the company dancing, then now I guess everyone understands it. But back then, how did you make a living doing that? I guess modeling turned overnight to my full time job. I was babysitting to make ends meet. I hated it because it was a very weird family. And I didn't agree to how they raised their kids, but there was their education, so I had to follow that. And I realized, okay, I'm not leaving everything behind to be a babysitter in New York and dance on the side. So either I change something or it doesn't make any sense. And then a mosquito bit or sting me and my legs swell up so much because now I actually know that I'm allergic back then I didn't know mm. that I couldn't walk because my foot was just so swollen and so I was literally home all day which never happened before <laughs> so I went to the on the internet I'm like well maybe I can actually model because maybe I find jobs and then through hours and hours of Googling, I found so many jobs. I mean, later on, I realized it was Craigslist and 90% was not true. But right. at this moment, I didn't know. And I'm like, there is actually a world out there of modeling besides the fashion modeling. In that moment, I decided I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to be a full-time model. I think it was always good to have only a plan A. That way you had to make it happen. Mm. Often always try, okay, and if that doesn't work, I just do that. And yes, of course, you feel safe, but at the same time, it stops you from really giving all you have to plan A. And the same I did with ballet. People always say, so what do you do after you're done dancing? I'm like, if I focus on that, I can't become a dancer, which takes so much energy out of me. I will figure something out. I'm not worried about that. Well, but you have to be prepared. I'm like, I will be. But now focus on being a dancer. That's the same with modeling. I'm like, okay, now I'm a full-time model. I have to find jobs. I would lie if I say it was all perfect from then on because I woke up in the evening and in the night looking for jobs, applying to thousands and thousands of jobs. But... It worked. It worked. That's fascinating. I think it's a gift to be who you are and to follow your path and not just fit in the mold. 
how else would people ever learn something unique or interesting from your story or see a different path and relate to the challenges or struggles and things you discovered. So I'm very glad you're, you know, following your passions, doing things your own way. And if there are any other things that you'd want to share before we kind of wrap up here that I didn't ask or you want to talk about and I didn't think to get to? I think we talked a lot about a lot of things. I just think it's important to know now when I speak about it, you know, I have time passed and I have a distance to it and I can see things clearly. But very often when I was in that moment, I felt frustrated and it didn't go fast enough and I was miserable because I wanted to have my green card now and not wait or I just didn't know how to do it. So don't think because you hear other people's success stories and they had figured it out, everything. They risked it because they know what they wanted to do. Mm. Yeah, I, I knew kind of, but it was a lot of trial and error. I tried that, it didn't work out, I tried that. It's not a constant way up. That's very important to remember because when people say, okay, let's risk it, and it doesn't work, it's like, well, but other people have it so easy and they achieved it. No, it's not true. You don't know until later on. I think Steve Jobs said that, that we live our life forwards and it's only looking back that we can connect all the dots and make sense of it all. So at the time, you don't really know why you're doing what you're doing. But it's like all these little random things that we do that at the time don't seem like anything to us, but we're just doing it because we think it's cool or we like it or we're focused on our passion. And then, like you're saying, when you look back on it, you can say, well, it all makes sense now or, you know, I can see the patterns. But at the time, you're just doing what you know is true at the time. And I think trust your instinct because exactly like you say, this being a sculptor and starting dancing, I'm like, you go do that. That was my instinct. And then I'm like, well, why would I do that? I've probably not even the right thing. And why would they take me? And da, 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 da. But it felt right. And then I was running late and I couldn't find it. I'm like, go home. Who cares about that? And I'm like, no, I have to do that. I don't know why. Just go there. And if they send you home because you're late, well, then you tried it. Mm. And that was such a very important moment. They helped a lot because I did that big job to get my work permit. So it it was a very significant part in my whole journey. Or the thing with the mosquito bite. It's like, I felt like it has a reason. And all the struggle of not being a real dancer for the first year, I was so fed up that I'm like, okay, I have to change. Or risking it all of being official and trying to get a work permit because I'm like, I can always try to do everything under the light, but I will never live freely and achieve the big things. So I have to risk it all because this is not what I came here for. There were little moments that it was until two days in the first six months I told you I had that visa and then it was over and I didn't have the money to to extend it. I'm like, well, I have to find another way. I have to. 
that's when I started modeling because they asked if I would do a photo shoot for a ballet catalog. And I'm like, no, I'm short, I'm ugly, I'm not going to do that. Well, let's just do it. What's there to lose? And I loved it and I realized, hey, they paid money for that. And it was, again, a goodbye. And I went to another ballet school just to try something else before I go back because it was still not enough money to extend my visa. I was sitting there really sad that I have to leave and I just didn't find any other way to, to make it happen. And that girl starts talking, oh yeah, that school also offers scholarships and in terms of that I can make it happen. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's my answer. And I asked them and my mom again, they were expecting, okay, she's coming home in two days, finally it's over. And I'm like, mom, I found a way, I'm not coming. <laughs> and she's like, okay, okay. And she's like, I, I knew it's gonna happen. At that, at that time, she already knew to find something. You know, never giving up, always trying to listen to your voice. Because that school, it was like, why would I even go there? Just to miss all of that even more. But inside, I'm like, just go there. What's there to lose? Go. And again, I'm so glad I did. Mm -hmm. Trusting your instinct, it's such an important thing about. For those who are interested in like learning a little more about your story or following you, like what are some, I know you have a blog and an Instagram. What are, what are the ways that people can kind of keep in touch with what you're doing? Well, I actually love talking about it. I just share it a little bit on my website, on my blog, but I mainly share my professional work as a dancer, like a dance artist and pictures on my website. There's all of that. And some blogs and some insight about my life. So that's victoriamodel.com. And I post daily on Instagram. And some thoughts about my life are there too, yes. Which is Victory Ballet with a K. So Victory, but with a K and Ballet. And I will uphold you with the right hand of my righteousness. After we recorded the podcast, the next day she felt strongly she wanted to add something more in case it could help anyone. As mentioned, the second rape was actually by my back then boyfriend. Um, it started really with a loving relationship, at least that I saw it that way. But it pretty quickly turned into an abusive, mentally and physically abusive um, relationship. And by then, my self-esteem and confidence was so low that it took way too long until I left. Because I always thought that if I am a better girl or I do things better than he would change and it would go back to the beginning and you hear this story so often and you never think that you will be in that position but it happened and I remember I was so lost and I was thinking like I can't leave and he's sometimes nice to me and maybe it, it will change again 
And even though I didn't tell my sister back then about things that were going on, we were talking and there was one sentence she said, which was, pedophiles are also nice to kids. That doesn't mean that they are good to them or good for them. And that really like, boom, it made so much sense. It's like, yeah, of course he's nice to me. So otherwise it would be so obvious. And of course I would have left years ago. Like, But because he was so mean. But every time I was close to leave, he was nice. So it gave me hope again. I'm just saying all that in so much detail. Because I really hope that even if it's just one person or one woman out there who is not sure if she should leave this terrible situation and is not clear if that is actually mental abuse, if you're already thinking about it, if it maybe could be, then you know already the answer. And again, just because he's nice sometimes doesn't mean he's treating you well and... You should definitely leave. So I really wanted to say that because maybe it helps someone out there. Mm-hmm. And I will about you with the right hand.